Hey everyone, welcome to episode 16 of the Brosane Detroit Pistons podcast. We're recording on April 19th. I'm Carl Rosane. And I'm Alex Rosane. And let's do, it's the, uh, the weekend of the 2015 playoffs, which the Pistons are not part of. Uh, and we thought it would be a good time to, while we're watching some exciting games, I think uh, the Spurs versus the Clippers tonight is going to be particularly exciting. Uh, it would be a good time to pause and reflect over the, the entire season and kind of take stock. Uh, first of all, let's review some of, the, some of the predictions we had made, I think, in Episode 9 before the season started. Um, I think we were optimistically saying that we were going to be very close to making the playoffs with about 40 wins uh, and... And with a small chance of maybe making a big leap if, let's say, KCP and Drummond had improved drastically and maybe making in the high 40 wins. And as it turns out, uh, how, how did we do, Alex? Uh, we, Carl, we sucked. We, we won 32 games this year out of 82. We went 32 and 50. Um, that's the best season we've had in our run of now six consecutive years not making the playoffs, um, but only, only by a little bit. And, um, yeah, so we made various predictions. We thought we'd be a borderline playoff team. Um, we, we went back and listened a little bit, and you and I hedged so much that uh, we, we should run for Congress or something. We, we couldn't make a declarative statement. But I think we settled on something like high 30s or 40 wins and either just making the playoffs or just not making the playoffs, sort of like the Celtics and uh, Pacers and some of the other teams fighting for the eighth spot were at the end. And we just couldn't quite get there. And, um, you know, there's a, a long story to tell about exactly how we fell short. But, man, really disappointing to just have three more wins this year than last year. Um, yeah. And it's really um, one interesting thing is our winning percentage this year is actually worse than Maurice Cheeks's winning percentage was last year when he was fired by the owner. And um, we then the, the season went down in flames after that under an interim coach, John Lawyer. So uh, not an auspicious start um, if you look at the just look at the record for Stan Van Gundy, but you know there's a lot to say about what exactly happened. Yeah, and I, I think the the season as a team can be told in maybe three different chapters. Uh, the first chapter is kind of until we jo- until we dropped Josh Smith. Uh, there was the, the first 28 games we started off five and 23, one of the worst teams in the league, if not the worst, and. We, uh, yeah, maybe the third worst team in the league. And at that point, we were really in the dumps, and uh, Van Gundy made a bold move and, and dropped Josh Smith, and we also picked up Anthony Tolliver. Uh, no, and we started playing a lot better. And in the next 17 games, we went 12 and 5, and we're playing one of the like one of the top five uh, teams in the entire league in terms of the kind of net rating of offensive uh, sort of points per 100 possession versus uh, points uh, allowed. Yep. And, and then, so, so at that point, I mean, we were looking pretty good, and it sort of was saying, like, okay, Van Gundy, some of the things we were hoping, that he would kind of be able to rein us into a, a, a team that played really well, really hard, uh, and things were looking up. Yeah, um, and, then, yeah, yeah. and, and it, it, it really just was a ray of hope. I mean, just, to have a stretch like that where it's like, okay, we may not have put together a whole season that looks like this, but this is what it's going to look like when we're good again, I, is kind of how I was thinking of it. Um, I mean, we, we didn't know exactly what it would look like when the other shoe dropped, but we were there were some grumblings about, like, well, we are kind of shooting at a very high percentage, and is that sustainable and so forth? What we didn't 
know was going to happen was that uh, Brandon Jennings, that looked like he was taking the leap to the next level of being a borderline all-star, um, unfortunately tore his Achilles tendon, which is um, not only is he out for the year, he's going to miss probably part of next year, and when he comes back, we'll have another year after that of not being his old self again. And he may never get back to his old old self. And By the really, way, his contract ends with us after next year. So really he just, just the, the Brandon yeah. Jennings era is basically over right when it was getting interesting. And I, and I really feel, I mean, leading into the season, I Jennings was not even on my radar. I was like, yeah, he's an average point guard, and I'm happy to have him. He's not going to be the problem or the solution. We hadn't really given him much attention. We were looking more at Drummond and maybe KCP. And it turns out he was the unexpected breakout player on our team he went from uh yeah by the way a couple of things that we'll link to in our episode notes is we have a spreadsheet that compares uh, a lot of the team-wide stats of, uh, across each of these segments of the year uh and as well as a thir- 2013 versus 2014 season comparison and we've also updated that infographic that plots the usage and and um, uh, offensive rating of every player and one of the most dramatic shifts when you kind of switch from 2014 to 2015 is brandon uh, goes up in both usage and efficient and and uh, offensive rating and he, yeah he's at about a 110 offensive rating you know if he'd played that way throughout the rest of the season and let's say he had carried us into making the playoffs uh, he could have been uh, there there would, there would have been an argument to be made for him being an all-star and so that was unexpected and really delightful and then he got injured I remember, I remember it was like I remember that Friday night we had uh, we were I was hanging out with a bunch of friends we were all talking about how excited we were about the Pistons. And um, it was like, it was just this weird injury where it didn't even look dramatic. He was just like walking or like, like sort of backpedaling and, fe- and sort of fell down in pain. And, and that was it. And it was, you know. Yep. And it's, it's really, um, it's really making the leap when you use more possessions and use them more efficiently. I mean, I, I'm not even really sure how he did it. He was just, he just looks great. He was hitting shots. And then uh, an under-the-radar underrated thing is he looked um, passable on defense Where this year. Um, he was trying a little harder, and even though he wasn't that talented at it, um, compared to last year when he was just, you know, obviously disgraceful, even to, you know, just a fan's perspective uh, like me. So, yeah, it was <laughs> we, were, we, were, we were excited. It was exciting. And then... And then he went down. And then, yeah, so after that, we've basically been a slightly below-average team ever since. Yeah, we had there two was, stretches where we're, we shuffled a bunch of guys around. We we made a trade. We were, you know, about a dozen games. DJ Augustine was our good on offense, terrible on defense point guard. Then we got Reggie Jackson for the last, you know, more than quarter of the season. And we were still a below-average team for that that whole stretch. We had Greg Monroe out for part of it, and there were some losing streaks and winning streaks even in there. And we ended our, the season with our patented late-season run that makes sure we don't get a top-five pick, uh, which we've done. Um, I think we've done that three out of the last four seasons. <laughs> we were in the running for a top-five pick, and then we, we go on a little uh, – I'll be damned if I'm tanking uh, mini run and uh, make sure we get the eighth, seventh, eighth, or ninth pick, which we've had in the last four years uh, in the draft. Yeah, and what's interesting about that is we were playing against teams who were really trying to make the playoffs. So they were playing hard, and like we actually had some pretty solid wins in there. Uh, and it was just sort of like, what the heck? Uh, on the bright side, we did finish a little bit stronger. Reggie Jackson uh, started looking pretty good. 
we had a 10-game losing streak to kind of kick off. Uh, maybe a couple games games after he started, we lost 10 straight and, and just tor- torpedoed our chances at making the playoffs. We were hovering right around the bubble, and we were kind of, uh, last time we checked in, we were kind of, or two episodes ago, we were kind of optimistic about that. Uh, but then uh, it's, it's just like, but if you look back, I'm sure you take any NBA team and you say, oh yeah, if we just don't consider that 10-game losing streak, we're like you can't just you can't negate that. You know, we, we the Pistons are a story of having two periods where we where we, where we just were really bad and it just and it kills you. So um, right, if you if you ignore all the games we lost, we won all our games. You know, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, I, I went. I also wanted to look at just breaking down offense and defense um, to to see, you know, did we improve in one more than the other. So from last year to this year, we we improved by four spots in offensive efficiency from 19th to 15th. Uh, we improved from 25th to 19th in defense, so six spots. And so overall, we improved by four spots in just that kind of point differential metric called SRS that that I like. It's a it basically is point, your point differential adjusted for the strength of schedule and the pace. It's just a real simple metric. And, you know, so what that means is, you know, we overall the season as a whole, even with those up and downs, we ended up with about an average offense and a below average but not disgraceful defense. And so we ended up being a below average team. Whereas last year we were a below average but not disgraceful offense, an embarrassing defense, and we were awful. And somehow that only ended up translating into a difference of three wins um, overall. I think – Honestly, I think our record um, is a little bit worse than than you would predict, given our you know how we did. I think, like given the point differential we had this year, the, the you can calculate a so-called expected wins and losses, and we would have won 38 games this year. Most teams that have the point differential we had this year would have won 38 games, and we won 32. So that might mean that either that metric isn't as good as people think it is. Or, but it could also mean we had some bad luck or things like that. So there's a little bit of strength hiding in there. And well, it, I, I just, it, would, it would be really discouraging if we didn't have anything going for us going into the offseason. But as we'll talk about at the end, we've got we've got some re, some moves to make to where we could improve. Yeah, and I just I, if you look back and over some of those stretches, when we were playing really well, we were, like, blowing out teams. Um, and it could just be that when we were playing well, we had a huge differential in our favor. And then when we were bad – we were, you know, just maybe a few points too bad to win. So, th- so that ends up being that, well, you know, maybe that maybe that could explain it. But um, and yeah. also just looking at our like our effective field goal percentage is is flat. We we were 24th in last year and this year. And then our opposing effective field goal percentage went from 28th to 19th. So our, that's another sign that our our offense kind of was a wash and our defense got better. Um, and all, the other thing that I think is a little bit encouraging is that if you look at our um, net rating on uh, our rank there, it, it kind of trends uh, in the right. As, as if you if you take if you take out the the terrible start and our our great streak in the middle, the trend is slightly improving from you know. Throughout the year, we got better. Yeah, throughout the year, we got better, which is slightly better. And if you consider all the turmoil we had, if if you just feel like if we had a stable roster for an entire season, uh, we and we can do that going into next year, that might bode well for us to, to have a better season. Because really, it was just, we had three completely different teams that we were working with this year. Yeah. 
It, it's you're you're right. I mean, we we had three different teams that we that we were this year, and the the last team we were. Uh, the, the team we ended the season with without Brandon Jennings taken away from us, but adding Reggie Jackson, having some guys improve throughout the season. You know, we were the 19th best team in the league during that, that last, you know, quarter to third of the season that, um, and, you know, that's nothing to write home about, but we'll, we'll that's, that's where we are. Um, so just thinking about how some individual players, did last year compared to this year the the only two core players um that uh, so we had three core players really to to make that comparison with Jennings who we talked about really made a huge surprising improvement and then you know had a career threatening injury um Monroe got got a lot better i mean he he now is um Basically, borderline all-star level offensive production. If you just look at how many possessions does he use and how efficient is he, I think um, a lot of people would probably be surprised to hear you say that. And, and we we probably need to see him put up these numbers more consistently over a couple seasons for him to actually make an all-star game. But you know, really solid numbers. Um, it, and that's that's an interesting. Uh, Development because he has a game that's pretty unfashionable now. You a lot of teams like their big men to be able to spread the floor and hit a jump, hit a long range jump shot, if not a three, at least you know an eighteen footer. And post play is really kind of out of style. I mean, if you look at the way these teams are going to play in the playoffs, there's a lot of like looks like teams are running the three man weave, you know, pick and rolls, handoffs from the big men to the wing players. And Drummond, or I'm sorry, Monroe is more of a, like a throw it into the post and let him let him work. And not a lot of teams play that way anymore. Way anymore. It'll be really interesting to see how teams value him as in his free agency this off season. Yeah, and just to give a quick sense of um, the narrative I've heard among Pistons pundits about whether or not Monroe would be a good person to keep, assuming we even had a, ch- a shot at him, uh, was. I remember towards the end of the season, um, we were on a 10-game losing streak uh, with Reggie Jackson, and then Monroe was injured for like four, like maybe five, six games. And during that streak, we started playing, we started playing better and starting to win a little bit more. And people were saying, "Oh, well, you know, Reggie just needs space, and you have two big men clogging the lane." I think I even mentioned something like that. But then I was looking more closely at that today just to kind of see if it added up. It turns out that when he came back, we started, we played even better. Uh, and finish the season even stronger. So I don't really think that you can make the argument that we're better off without Monroe. I mean, maybe if we get someone else who's also really good, who happens to be a stretch for, uh, that would be even better. But Monroe's a really good player, probably maybe our best player uh, on offense uh, among the remaining rosters uh, members. And uh, it'll be it'll it'll be hard to lose him, assuming we do. I mean, I, I think that a lot of people think he's going to the Knicks, and I don't see why he would have taken the qualifying offer to make sure he was an unrestricted free agent if he wasn't going to get out of here, unless he's inspired by the Van Gundy era somehow. Yeah, our, if we lose him, our, our only solace will be that that'll free up a lot of cap room we can use on somebody else. His cap hold is something like $10 bucks, meaning that um, you know if he ends up signing with somebody else, that will free up about $10 million of salary cap space for, for us to sign a free agent from another team. You know, we could get someone 
pretty good or two two guys that'll be rotation players for for that amount of money. So if Van Gundy in his role as president of the organization, you know, wants to get somebody that fits his style a little better, and he basically invented this have a center in the middle and have four guys who can shoot on the outside thing that everyone's doing now. He did that with the Orlando Magic and took them to the finals. So um, he, he's definitely not unfamiliar with this new fashion. Um, you know, maybe he wants to get somebody who fits that better. I don't know. Or maybe we'll just resign him for a reasonable rate. I'm not sure. Um, another thing to – oh, yeah, and another thing on, on Monroe. I was just looking up, you know, trying to think about, like, is somebody really going to offer him a max contract? And I just basketballreference.com has this little player season finder tool where you can put all these filters on who has ever done, you know, had had a season that fits this criteria. So I looked for guys who were six ten or taller, age twenty four or younger, so as young as him, as big as him, and then had his combination of offensive rating and usage percentage. Uh, you know, usage rate twenty three or more, which is, you know, maybe you're not. You, you can range from the star to someone who just more than pulls it away. Um, there were only uh, Greg Monroe was one of only 13 guys who have ever, who ever had two or more seasons like that, you know, as a young player being really productive as a big man, um, you know, that's really a specific thing. So it's not like, Oh, he's, he's the best player ever. But the guy, the other guys who did it twice like him are Anthony Davis, Sean Kemp, Brooke Lopez, Yao Ming, Shaq, and Amare Stoudemire. So in that, and then there are a bunch of guys who did it more than that, like Blake Griffin, Dwight Howard, Dirk Nowitzki, Hakeem Olajuwon. But, you know, so in that list we have a range from, at the top end, Hall of Famers, which I don't think anyone thinks Monroe is, down to guys like Brooke Lopez and, um, you know, Yao Ming, Sean Kemp, who had you know, really good peaks where they made a couple of all-star games. And, you know, that doesn't guarantee that Monroe's, you know, going to be a really great player. But I think people, because he plays that unfashionable style of being a post-up player in a, in a, in a stretch big man league, um, people are starting to get down on him. But, you know, he really is a very useful offensive player, and he hasn't even hit his peak yet. He's still very young. So I I wouldn't I concluded that I will not be surprised if multiple teams offer him a, a max contract just based on that because teams are so desperate to get something going. Yeah, and, and they keep talking about how the the cap is expected to go up and how this is sort of a mini max right now and yeah I mean and I wish Moose the best he's he's a, he's a good guy and um, I don't know I I kind of feel indifferent a little bit I mean I I, I wouldn't feel. Like if we sign him to a max and and he's one of our big pieces that I would feel super comfortable that that's a, a like a championship foundation. But at the same time, I can't say who who we're going to get in his place. So uh, it's more just like a rolling the dice with a fresh set of dice than than taking someone known but not quite spectacular for a max contract. Um, yeah, I I agree with that. And you know, even just uh, on these airwaves, shall we say, in this podcast, we've we've hemmed and hawed a lot about whether is he worth a max, should we sign him or not. I think in the end it's like, okay, if you, if we have a plan for how we're going to use him and we're going to build a team that fit where he fits, go for it. But don't just do it just to not, quote, lose an asset. Because at this point, you know, we, we can have the cap room and we can sign somebody good um, if we want to. 
maybe the best case scenario is he can get um, a longer contract if he signs with us in a sign-in trade where we trade him to somebody else, and we could get something back, like a draft pick or something. That might be the best case scenario if Van Gundy doesn't want to build around an, uh, a team that has two really large guys. Um, there, you know, there are a lot of people who who say, you know, Monroe really isn't a power forward; he's a center. You should really just play him at center. And if that really is his best position, obviously we're not going to displace Drummond for him. So, um, yeah, maybe some, maybe the Knicks want to build around him at center, um, and and they would be willing to give us something for him to get a five-year contract. So I think that's that's the our tentative non-conclusions on Monroe. <laughs> and yeah, and, and speaking of Drummond, um, I don't know. I was looking. I was also digging in today and. Overall, Drummond kind of, if you look at the overall season stats from last year to this year, he didn't really make a big leap. I mean, he's, he's about a 13 and 13 guy overall. Uh, and he, in some ways, is like his field goal percentage is down, uh, but his, his usage is up by quite a bit. And, I, and the way I see it is that he, this is the season where he started trying to become part of our offense. Uh, and in doing so, became less efficient, but still was decent. And if you look, I was just looking at the pre-All-Star versus post-All-Star. Um, since the All-Star break, he was averaging 16 points and almost 15 rebounds. So, he, you know, he finished the year stronger than, like, a very kind of a pretty shaky start of, like, he would just try to do these post moves and just was very ineffective. And he really was only good at the sort of put-back dunks. And more recently, it seems like he actually has uh, a... Uh, like one, like his, his sort of baby hook that is somewhat reliable that he's been practicing a lot. Uh, so I would say that compared to my hopes and dreams of him having a breakout season and leading us to the playoffs, it, it's, it's a little bit disappointing, but he's still extremely young and he's so athletic, still the best offensive rebounder in the game. Uh, and we, we, we just need to be patient and, and, uh, and kind of look at the fact that, you know, he, he was becoming part of our offense and it's looking like, you know, I, I wouldn't be down on him yet overall as a player. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention too is is his defense is still uh, not good. I mean, last last episode you brought up that really good point that like we're worse as as a team on defense when he's on the floor. Uh, and I, I happened to watch the uh, the Pacers game, and it was one of those games where I just was looking very carefully at some of the plays and when when we would have bad defensive series, and there was three clear times when. Andre Drummond fell asleep and left someone open for an easy layup. Like, uh, you know, like I remember like CJ Miles uh, had lost KCP on a Hibbert pick and then Drummond just did switch and it got an easy alley-oop for another team member. And there was like three different occasions where he just didn't do the right thing as a team defender. So that's something that he really has to improve upon if we're going to become a elite defensive team. Yeah, I, I had... Um... You know, in, in preparation for looking at the season end, I had kind of the same journey that you did, where I looked at, I was like, gosh, you know, it seems like he kind of hit a plateau. Um, and actually, you know, offensive win shares, where you take into account kind of both usage and efficiency, he actually got considerably worse. But if you look at that, um, the chart we have posted on the website and, and see what he did, what he did is he went from a guy who's a, a role player who's very efficient who basically all he does is stand near the basket and dunk it when somebody hands him the ball and he's open, to a guy who's actually using um, more than his fair share of possessions. In other words, you don't have to have another as much of other people creating offense. 
and he got a, he got less efficient, but not so not um, he didn't get worse to the point where he's bad. He just uh, got worse because he was trying to create some of his own things. Um, so I I also looked at that as given that he is 21 years old, that was a positive sign. Um, Brit, so I was really glad to see that you know on the surface when his his sort of box score stats kind of stayed the same and his um, one of the advanced stats I really like offensive win shares got worse uh, I was worried also his player efficiency rating another one you know stayed very similar got got slightly worse but um, to put some numbers to what you you said a little bit that he's doing the jump hook and so forth he's last year the breakdown he, all of the shots that he takes are inside 10 feet from the basket. And there's some stats on, on basketball reference where they, they break down how many of them that you took were within three feet and then how many were within three to ten feet. Um, it was about an 80-20 breakdown last year, 80%, a little over 80% within three feet of the basket, basically dunks and tips. And this year it was 70-30 about. So he's taking more little floaters and hooks where he's more than three feet from the basket and again, we—that's something he needs to develop. If he's going to end up being an All NBA guy or an All Star, he has to. We have to be able to throw it to him and have him create something rather than have him stand around until something falls in his lap. So that's that—that that totally matches what you said, and I think that that's a healthy process in his development, given that we don't expect him to hit his peak last year, this year, next year, or the year after. He's going to get better and better. Yeah, and, and he really did finish the season a lot better than he started. I mean, like, if, if he actually can be a, like a, you know, his field goal percentage came back up to the mid-50s, and if he actually can be, uh, you know, a 17 and 15 guy uh, all year, then that would, that's the drum we were kind of hoping he'd be all year. He wasn't quite there yet. But if that was him next year, then, hey, like, Andy starts to not be a li- almost perhaps a liability on defense overall, which is pretty disappointing given how athletic he is, uh, then that could make a huge difference for us next year. Absolutely. Um, and, and then there are a few other numbers that w- I was surprised to see got better. His offensive rebound and defensive rebound rates both got better, in term- and that's a measure of how many of the rebounds that there were to even get. Did he Was he the one that grabbed? Both of those got better. So here he is like a you know, all-world level rebounder already, and he got better in bo- slightly in both of those measures. His steal rate got worse, which is the, the percentage of the other team's possessions that ended with him stealing it. But that that could be a good thing because maybe he's gambling less and, and getting less dumb fouls trying to slap the ball away from somebody. You, you don't really know what to make of that, but steals are one of those um, seductive – Stats that could that look like they're good, but could can actually be the a sign that somebody is a bad defender. His block rate went up, so the percentage of the other team's shots that he blocked went up. That's good for you know the rim protector story. Of course, as we have discussed at length, he still has a long way to go on being a defensive anchor. And then finally, his turnover rate got better. So even while he was using more of our possessions, fewer of them. Of ended in him turning the ball over, you know that's all. That's all great stuff. So um, I, I was really glad to see that. Um, even though on the surface it seemed like he plateaued, there was a lot of evidence that he is developing as a, a potential 
you know, guy we, we should build around. And um, so definitely not time to pull the plug on Andre, the Andre Drummond. In fact, I think I'm buying more stock in Andre Drummond at this point. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I, I'm really glad that he finished a little stronger. And the, what, maybe one last thing that he really, really needs to work on is his free throws. Uh, he since the All Star break, he was 36% from the free throw line, and it was Hacka Drummond was a, was definitely happening towards the end of the season. And uh, I'm not sure if it's possible to really turn that around, but he's among the worst in the league at this point. Uh, and if he can, if if he can't get it above 50%, then that's going to be a problem throughout his career. It is, and we're, you know, I, I may have mentioned in an earlier episode that I I looked at. You know, historically, if guys who are worse than than sixty percent, what what happens to them later in their careers? Mm-hmm. And it was really all over the map. Most of them stayed about the same. A handful of them got worse. A handful of them got better. And there was no rhyme or reason to, you know, noticing a pattern as to when that might happen. So it's possible that he'll get better. It's also possible that the NBA will change the rules on the um, intentional fouls to have guys shoot free throws. Um, it sounds like they're not going to do it this year, but. Um, if we see a lot of that in this in these playoffs and everybody gets mad about it, you know the NBA is an entertainment business and they will sacrifice you know purity for having people not be angry that they're watching something boring in a minute. Um, you yeah, know, I so think, yeah, like for, there, like I think there's like a ten percent chance we'll get bailed out in the next couple of years and the NBA will you know make it a little bit less advantageous to do those fouls. Obviously, the better solution is to have Drummond just get better at free throws. Yeah, I, th- I think uh, I think Bill Simmons proposed. Uh, out of all the things I've heard, I like what he proposed the best of just letting you take it out of bounds if you'd like, if you'd rather do that. You know, so you, you hack Drummond. Sure, we'll take it out of bounds and take a team foul. Um, yep. So th- I think th- maybe the next guy we should talk about is KCP. I think he was mm. someone that we were keen on, uh, maybe getting a lot better this year. And he also is someone where if you look at if you kind of look at the sort of season-to-season season overall stats, it's a little bit disappointing. He went from someone who uh, didn't even start uh, and was kind of a, like a below role player level of usage and you know a mediocre uh, offensive rating to basically pulling his weight on offense with just under 20% usage, but uh, just above 100 offensive rating. So just pretty mediocre, um, but it doesn't really match – the eye test, and I think it's because he has these, he, he um, like, for instance, uh, at home, he's, like, a good three-point shooter. And there are games when he actually kind of wins the game for us by really being good. And then on the road, he's way worse, uh, things like that. So, I don't know, what do you make of KCP? Yeah, the, the big picture, one sentence about him is that he confirmed this year that he is an NBA player. And we should plan on having him on our roster and contributing for years to come. Um, I would say that it's not a lock that we can't do better. Um, and then sort of getting into the specifics a little bit, um, exactly what you said. It, it, he improved a little bit, but 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 really not as much as you'd expect. Really amazing. I, you know, I pulled up these numbers, home versus road. And home games, he scored 15 points per game. And on road games, he scored under 10. His offensive rating was like, um, you know, at really useful role player level, 109 at home. And on road games, it was 88, which is like worse than Josh Smith, the, than the one that got Josh Smith fired from, from our team. 
Yeah, and, um, and he, he shoots almost forty percent three pointers on, on at home, and uh, like below like twenty eight on the road. So I don't know. Um, it, yeah, it, it's 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 really hard to understand. Um, so it could be a coincidence. It could be just be like, well, a forty game sample size of each one is not good enough. Uh, it could be that he uh, is not very good at um, making sure he gets a good night's sleep in his hotel room when we're on the road, and he's a little better at that when we're at home in in Michigan. I, I mean, I, that you know, that's wild speculation. But you know, he he's shooting the same or roughly the same or better percentage from every distance than he was compared to what he was last year. Uh, shooting threes a little better. Uh, still looks like a solid defender. You know, he never gets to the free throw line, and he's just never going to be our main shot creator. But you could see him end- ending up having like a Rip Hamilton type career where he tops out at making an All Star game or two. But other than that, is just a solid scorer, solid defender. I, I think yeah, yeah. He-, he he probably projects as a better defender than Rip Hamilton ever was. Um, so I, you know, if-, if we see an opportunity to get someone who's a star at shooting guard, we should not let KCP stand in his way. And we should have KCP be the backup. But, you know, he's not the problem. Him and Jody Meeks together are just give us, like, real, like, at par level play from shooting guard projected going forward. They didn't, he didn't, it, he wasn't good enough this year, but he was 21 years old this year, the same age as Andre Drummond. So, you know, I, I expect if he pro- improves as projected in the next few years, he's probably not the problem. If he's yeah, going to yeah. stay exactly like this year, then, you know, he, he is the problem. Yeah, I would, I'd, and um, and he and he, he also he's no he's not just a like a streaky streaky good three point shooter. He had some signs of being able to drive it to the basket, which is a, a important. He's not just another guy standing around. Uh, so, yeah, let's 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 wait and see. He's still young. And Jody Meeks, his his backup, um, you know, played solid. He he was our biggest acquisition of the off season, and I was I almost was wondering if he was going to start, but then he started off the season injured, and by the time he he came in. Uh, KCP had kind of established himself as a starter, and he he had games where he was great. He carried us to wins. He had games. He had he had some pretty awful streaks during the season, but he he netted out actually pretty strong with a, a, a offensive rating as high as Monroe and Jennings uh, at right around 20% usage. So he's definitely uh, you know a, a solid certainly a solid backup point, uh, shooting guard. Yep. He, it, it, as long as you have somebody else making something happen by either penetrating into the defense or posting up or doing a pick and roll, he's a great guy to have standing around in the perimeter ready to shoot it. If, if he's open, you pass it to him. And he once or twice a game can come off a curl off a pick and hit a jump shot or something like that. And he plays hard and he seems to be adequate on defense as far as I can tell. And, you know, hey, he's getting paid like a slightly above average NBA salary for that um and, so fine and just like kcp i, I actually saw a, more than a few instances of him driving to the lane uh developing uh, a floater and you know being more than just uh, a guy who's, who stands in the corner i mean he's, he's, he's most valuable as a shooter but he's a little, a little bit more versatile than just a pure shooter it's at least from the eye test um yeah no th- th- that's right he can uh, as part of your second unit, he can make he can make something happen uh, now and again. I will say, you know, he's twenty. He was twenty seven years old this year, so this is peak Jody Meeks. Like we can't we can't expect anything better to happen in the future than happened this year. What we got this year was fine. He's a veteran player. He plays hard enough. He doesn't he doesn't blow it or screw up. 
you know. Joe, yeah, Jody Peaks, and he has a 90% free throw percentage, so that, he's one of the best in the leagues at that. Not that he makes a lot of them, but that's kind of interesting. Um, yep. Yeah, and I'm not sure who else really stands out. I mean, it's sort of interesting that we, um, you know, Tolliver kind of stands out in my mind this year as a as a new face who I like as a player. I mean, he's he's a good role player. Um, he's he's actually pretty similar in stats to Jarebko, who we lost to get him. Uh, but I like him, and he's he definitely is a guy who can make threes. Um, yep, I watched both Josh Smith and Jonas Jarebko do stuff in playoff games this weekend. Uh, Jonas got some minutes for the Boston Celtics uh, today against in their loss against the Cavs, and uh, Josh Smith played uh, uh, a, a big role in a in a run that Dallas made against his Houston Rockets. Because he um, missed a few shots and had a few turnovers in a row, uh, so I was thinking, okay, well, this looks familiar. I'm I'm kind of glad we don't have him anymore. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think the way that we're we're kind of talking around the one position we haven't talked a lot about is the the three, and I think that's kind of a hint that that's really our biggest hole right now. I mean, we uh, we have basically um, Tayshon and uh, Karan Butler. Karan Butler are. are and that's not a great. I mean, Karan Butler is like an okay backup three, but um, we, we really, I think that that's probably going to be one of the biggest things we're looking for in the offseason, in the draft, and, and maybe some trades. Absolutely, it's 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 100% our biggest need. Um, the web, this um, stats website, 82games.com, has this nice breakdown of um, your performance by position, which is the player some some player rating that they like. Uh, your team versus the other team's guy at those positions. And um, we were a net plus at both point guard and center there, which is, which is nice. Uh, and then we were a slight minus at power forward, which you might think, you know, it captures both, you know, Anthony Tolliver playing well off the bench, but it also captures a good chunk of the season with Josh Smith doing poorly there. We kind of treaded water. And then at shooting guard and small forward, we were really bad at both. And that's kind of interesting. I would, I would have expected us to be closer to par at shooting guard, given what we said about uh, KCP. But I think uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope passes the eye test a little better than he passes in terms of the actual numbers that he put up this year. He was a pretty inefficient offensive player. He played hard on defense, but you know he was often overmatched guarding the other team's best scorer because he was the the best perimeter defender we had he looks like he has potential but you know our, our shooting guards didn't perform that well this year but our, yeah small forward they performed badly this year and they're going to get worse um if we kept these guys so yes it's our number one need this offseason we'll have a future episode where we go into specifically who are the options out there and what could we do but the 100 percent um, not only just do we need someone to play that position, we need a creative force on the on the perimeter. We can't we can't have Reggie Jackson be assuming we re- re-sign him. We can't have him be the only guy who can make anything happen with the ball in his hands. The only guy who can dribble at all. Um, KCP can take a couple dribbles right or left and get a get a good jump shot off, but he's not a he's not a secondary ball handler. And you know there aren't a lot of guys like that out there, but. You know, there are a couple in the draft, and there are a couple in free agency, and we'll probably know more in, in, a, in a month or more about who's, you know, where our draft pick is, 
which free agents are rumored to wanted to go where and so forth. Um, but you're right. That's, that's, that's our biggest need by far. Yeah. And yeah, as you mentioned, we should probably just have a whole episode looking into that stuff. And, uh, but one, one guy we haven't talked about much yet, although we devoted a lot of time last time is to Reggie Jackson. I mean, how are you? I mean, I guess if I'm thinking about him right now, I feel sort of uneasy, but also glad we have him because given that Jennings is injured, if we didn't have a point guard right now and we were still playing Augustine uh, with no uh, as our starter with uh, not, not not many options as the backup, I wouldn't feel so great going into next year. And Reggie Jackson has shown signs of being a really dominant player, but he also kind of seems like a mediocre ball hog a lot of times. Like he's his usage percentage is up in the near 29%. So he's he certainly is is out there doing stuff, and that's how he gets sort of the absolute numbers that look pretty impressive. But his efficiency is okay not great um and uh i think it's just more about you know he's still relatively he's like 24 uh so he's, he doesn't have like the super young guy excuse but he still is probably pretty prime so i don't know i, I feel like he could become uh, an exciting player he's got the size uh, the athleticism uh if, if maybe if it's sort of like if van gundy can do to him what he did to jennings this year uh if he with some more games under his belt uh, he could become an uh, exciting player. But I don't feel like he's the guy who's going like, to lead us to a championship or something. You know, I just feel like he's a piece. I think that's exactly right. Uh, I, and I, feel, I have the similar uneasy feeling. The, the best thing he has going for him is that Van Gundy seems excited about him, and Van Gundy is one of the best coaches in the league by his, his record, his track record as an NBA coach. Um, he also appears to have the physical tools to be a really good defender. He's not undersized. You know, he's 6'3", which, you know, that's not great height, but it's not. he's not undersized. He has very long arms. He appears to be quick enough to stay in front of guys if he tries hard. And so he's a two-way player, which is really a, an important component of a championship team. Um, seems like he can shoot the three... Um, maybe he can get himself to where he can shoot the three well enough to to where teams won't just always go under the pick or the ball will swing around him and he's left wide open. But he hasn't exactly lit the world on fire there. And then the the most worrying thing is exactly what you said is he's putting up numbers, um, but that's that's because he's shooting a lot. He's using up a lot of possessions. In April, the eight games we had in April, just looking at these splits, he had a 30 usage percentage. That's up. You know, um, Carmelo Anthony, Kobe Bryant level usage rate, and his offensive rating was 105, which is about league average. So Man, that's he, kind of that, he, that, he that's had, kind of an uh, of like an Allen Iverson at his at his worst type of performance. Or for a point guard, it's more like John Wall this year, who led who was near the league leaders in assists, but was not that efficient, couldn't shoot, and you know his team isn't that great. His team was a uh, better than the Pistons. They made the playoffs. But he's their leader, and they're and they're not that great. Um, if that's the best we're going to get out of twenty-five-year-old Reggie Jackson, who's probably approximately at his peak, maybe he'll peak in the next two or three years instead of this year. But you know, it's not like this guy is twenty-one years old, where the 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 ceiling is very far away. So I'm just very concerned. I I, I think my hopes for him, my you know fantasy scenario for him is he. It's like Jameer Nelson when he played under. Van Gundy in Orlando, a piece of a championship contender, but not the guy you're relying on to be 
your you know part of your big two or big three best players. And that's why Van Gundy likes him because he sees like, okay, good, this guy can nail down this position, and then we can get our star elsewhere. I mean, that's the most I'm seeing for him, and I, I hope I'm being too pessimistic. Yeah, I mean, and as you mentioned, he he kind of like Wall. I mean, he had in that last month, in that last month, his best month, he had 18 points uh, over 10 assists a game, but then he almost also had almost five turnovers. So I think that's kind of the killer there. Uh, if you look over the months. The number of free throw attempts was going up. He had five free throw attempts a game, but towards the end, the one game, one of the games I was really watching in detail against the Pacers, in particular, he was, he actually was penetrating uh, past uh, quality defenders. Uh, uh, Hill was was guarding him, and he was able to get past him. So that kind of uh, helped quell one of my earlier concerns that he can only play well against bad defenders. And and he, you know, was making some. He could make a spot. He made a spot up three. He was getting to the line. So if he's the kind of guy who can develop a, a, just a little bit better of a three-point shot, where he can just make open threes if he finds himself there, and he can start getting to the line to complement his pet, because he he can really look spectacular getting to the rim and making layups. But he hasn't really gotten to the line very much. So if he yep. can really kind of turn that corner, which he showed some signs of doing, it, it's a little bit uh, optimistic. But that that is sort of like the the Pistons fan optimistic lens. And if I was, if you look at sort of the national pundits, they're not very enthusiastic about Reggie Jackson. They're not super down on him either, but they're not like excited about him. And I think, I think there's a reason why. Yeah. He, he had one month for us in March where he, in the 15 games of March, he was really good. He had high usage rating and high offensive rating. Um, he, he hit 39% of his threes had 17 points, nine assists and played very efficiently. You know, and so it's like if you take any guy's best month, they look like they're pretty damn good. Um, the I, I think the other thing where it's not uh, it's outside of his control, um, where that could lead to his success is um, if he's going to succeed, it's going to be in part because he's a really great pick and roll pair with Andre Drummond, throwing alley oop passes to him. He he appears to have a little bit more talent than Brandon Jennings did at feeling out when to throw the lob pass on pick and rolls. Jennings didn't really seem to be very good at that. I remember in past years it being striking that Will Bynum was better at that. Even though he kind of sucked at everything else, he was better at throwing, get, getting alley-oop passes to Drummond out of pick and roll. Yeah, same with August. And, and Jackson seems to be pretty pretty decent at that. Well, it's not in Jackson's control, but if Drummond can get better at that and just feel out that, you know, whatever veteran savvy that um, DeAndre Jordan figured out and Tyson Chandler has mastered um, in the past five years. If Drummond can at, at least turn into that, plus a little bit of a post game, I mean that's that makes for a killer combination. It'll make Reggie Jackson look a lot better if you can play with a guy who can just dunk everything you throw anywhere near the rim. And again, it, it, and then I guess something we said in the past is it all comes down to at what price. If Reggie ja- if Reggie Jackson tries to get something like um, the twelve plus million dollars that OKC offered him in the past, I'm really pretty dubious that we're going to be glad we we got him. Um, but if if we end up paying him something closer to what we were paying Brandon Jennings, you know, uh, maybe under the new cap, the equivalent of that would be nine, ten, eleven million a year. Um, okay, fine. Then I'll have faith in Van Gundy there. Um, so I guess 
I guess that's where we have to leave it at that. I, I, I don't know what else to say. It's like he's shown flashes, but gosh, I, I, I wish I could see what Van Gundy sees because I'm not, I'm not there yet. Yeah. Yeah, and looking across our roster, there's not really anyone else I'm dying to really dive into. I think it's a good time to wrap it up. Uh, but yeah, I, I, overall, I mean, if if we if, if Jennings hadn't gotten injured, the season could have turned out how we had hoped. Uh, and I feel good with uh, Van Gundy right now. I still feel good with him. So we'll have to be patient for one more year. And yep. uh, and in next episode, we'll check in and, and really dive into like the offseason moves we might make and also take a look at the draft, what, what we might do with our probable eighth pick in the draft. All right, sounds good.